Sometimes a song is the story of a life. Sometimes, as in the case of American pastor John Hopkins Jr., it becomes a punctuating point of reference. Hopkins penned the classic carol, We Three Kings, in 1857. The hymn was one of the first American-written carols to achieve international exposure, and it centers on the journey of the wise men, or the magi, who are described in the biblical account of the nativity as traveling from afar to honor the birth of Jesus and bringing with them three gifts. In the Bible, we're told these gifts were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Little more is known about the magi, other than that they followed, as the song says, the star of wonder star of light, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. They followed the sign they had been given to honor Jesus, the newborn King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and they presented him with gifts of great value and special significance. In that light, their journey is a beautiful metaphor for us, and it was for Hopkins. We are called to follow the signs that lead us to Jesus as well, and the valuable gifts we bring to honor him are our lives. Hopkins' life itself is reflected here. Originally a journalist and while studying to become an attorney, Hopkins heeded a call to the ministry and went to seminary in New York. After being ordained, he became the first music teacher at the seminary, in addition to his ministry at the church. It was during his final year of teaching that he wrote, We Three Kings, and it was featured in publications around the world. The song is a reminder that the wise among us still seek Jesus and seek to offer what we have in worship to him as the one true king. How you doing? Good, good to see all of you. I want to just say uh, welcome to everybody across our network, Bettendorf campus. I am so glad that you are with us, men of Kiwani. We love you. We are so glad that you're part of the family. People who are checking us out online, thanks for taking a moment just to, to kind of check in on what's going on here at Heritage. And of course, my friends here at Rock Island campus, I am so glad that you are here plugging in and worshiping the Lord together. Just in case we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Josh Howard. I get to serve as one of the pastors here on staff at Heritage. I've served on staff for three and a half years, but my story kind of goes back a long way with Heritage, and I grew up here, and so when I say that you are my tribe, I really mean it, and I love that I get to pursue Jesus with you, Heritage Church, and I love that I get to pursue Jesus with the team of women and men that have been assembled for this season at Heritage Church, so it's just an honor to be with you tonight. Right up front, let me say this, Happy New Year to all of you. I I, uh, I hope that you had warm celebrations and, and you had a good time. My wife and I were kind of talking through our own progression with the New Year's holiday. As we age, things have changed a little bit. We both tend to be morning people. And, uh, and so we were thinking back to when we were teenagers and New Year's Eve was not a big deal. Like getting to midnight was not a big deal. And uh, in fact, we would want to go longer after midnight. And then when we hit our 20s, 
It was good enough just to get to midnight and then drop dead. And then when we hit our 30s, the expectation every night was, yes, we're going to make it to midnight. And then we would always end up celebrating with New York and go to bed an hour early. And now that I'm in my 40s, I'm not confirming or denying whether she is or not. But now that I am in my 40s, she's nine months older than me, then uh, <laughs> I'm going to pay for that one. Um, but, but now that we're kind of at this age, uh, it's more a matter of like, the expectation of midnight is just gone. And it's more a matter of like, yeah, there's gotta be somebody celebrating in the Atlantic Ocean, right? So it's good, you know? But I, I don't know how you celebrate, you know, Christmas or New Year's Eve, but I hope all of those celebrations went really well for you and that you've had good family and friend connection over the last couple of weeks. Uh, this weekend at Heritage, we are not only leaning into the first weekend of a new year, but we are concluding a series that we have been in the midst of since the very beginning of Advent. And we've been calling the series Joy Unspeakable. We, we started the series way back right after Thanksgiving. And I actually had the honor of kicking off this series way, way back when. Some of you might have been around that weekend and saw it. And, and so I, that weekend, I decided to nerd out with you guys, and I want to do it again by giving this picture back to us. And this time I put it in the note guide so you can see it. Some of you are like, I was here for this. I, I don't want you to talk about this. It's fine. But uh, hang with me. I'm not going to talk about it very long. But I, I want to kind of talk you through this really great tool that I've been using in terms of my own personal devotion. This weekend is literally the 11th and 12th days of Christmas. So, you know, we're on our map. We started the journey here. Now we're like right here. And, and we are on day 11 and 12 this weekend of the Christmas season. Now, growing up, Maybe it was just because I got presents on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. I had no idea there were 12 days of Christmas, and I didn't care at that time. But as I've grown a little bit in my faith and kind of been introduced to some ancient rhythms in church life, I realized that there are, in fact, 12 days of Christmas, and they're not 12 days before Christmas. They're 12 days after Christmas. And so this has set up a little bit of tension in my household. Now, I think I shared this uh, with Rock Island Campus uh, last year, so some of you might remember this, but my wife and I disagree a little bit on how to lean in to the 12 days of Christmas. In that, uh, as soon as Christmas is done, on December 26th, she wants to take all the Christmas stuff down. She wants to get rid of it all. She wants to undeck the halls just as soon as possible. She doesn't want to listen to Christmas music anymore. She is completely done. And so as a sign of quiet protest, I have con continued some of my own quiet traditions, like listening to Christmas music very quietly so she doesn't hear it, and, uh, and stringing up uh, on, in my desk. I have a string of Yoda lights with a Santa hat on that will stay up all the way through the end of this weekend. And that, that's my quiet resistance. That's my way of leaning in and kind of sticking to her, sticking it to her a little bit at the same time. So I just, you know, that's kind of something that we are journeying through. But I will say this, that having those 12 days of Christmas to really lean in to the story of Jesus and the incarnation, there are so many like uh, themes and, and just like little nuggets and threads that you can pull on that are so rich. And I, I found it to be so valuable to lean into it. But then we get this Monday, uh, every January 6th is the day of epiphany. And so we kind of get right there where we're leaning into the next season. 
Now, epiphany is something that I had no knowledge of at all when I grew up as a kid in church, but I have found it to be really, really valuable. Uh, the, the beginning of epiphany, it, it marks the end of Christmas, and then we kind of move into the season where we're really looking at the unveiling of Jesus as the light of the world, that things that were hidden are now revealed, and revelation is really one of the key themes of this particular season that will take us into Lent. And during the season, we are invited to consider a lot of the early moments of Jesus' life. We're invited to consider his baptism, the calling of his disciples to follow him. We're invited to consider some of his early teachings, like the Sermon on the Mount. And every single year on the day of Epiphany, one particular story is highlighted. And this is really where I want to spend the majority of our time together today in the passage of Matthew chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can kind of turn there. We're going to be the first half of Matthew chapter 2. And it's this really great stepping from Christmas into Epiphany story where we consider the journey of the Magi as they travel to find the young Messiah. And so I want to pick up in chapter 1. We're going to kind of take this in chunks as we go. And I want to see what this story has for us uh, today. So this is, what it, this is how it reads. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, let me press pause here for a moment because I want to deal with what, what I consider to be some kind of fun trivial, contextual kind of things about this story. Uh, and then I want to sort of highlight a, a framing statement that I hope will help set a trajectory for the rest of our time together. But, but a couple of little nuggets, just like fun little contextual things that, that will help us interact with our song of the week, We Three Kings. We've already been able to sing it together and we've looked at the origin story in the sermon bumper. But I will say that oddly enough, I think that many modern biblical scholars would actually question two of the words that are used in the title of this song. For instance, not once in the passage of Matthew chapter 2, where we get the story of the Magi, not once do we get an actual number of Magi mentioned. It's kind of an interesting thing. Now, later in the, the passage, we're going to find out the Magi bring three gifts to Jesus and offer treasure chests full of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We know that part of the story. And so it's really easy for people to just infer, okay, three gifts, three guys that are bringing these gifts to Jesus. But the scriptures are actually not definitive. You can kind of go through it a little bit later and just watch for, for that. They're not definitive on the number. And so I'm wondering if maybe we need to change the title of the song a little bit from We Three Kings to maybe something like We Undetermined Amount of Kings, right? I, I don't know. Is that singable? I'm not really sure. But we got to keep going on because many biblical commentators would agree that these guys were not actually kings. They were scholars, they were explorers, they were scientists, particularly as you, you think that they were paying attention to the stars, you know, that there, there was some science maybe in their field, that they were probably not kings. In fact, one commentator mentioned that they probably functioned more as king makers than they actually did kings. And so maybe we need, again, to just continue to flip the title of the song a little bit more 
to we undetermined amount of scholar, explorer, kingmakers of Orient are. Let's all, Bettendorf get in it, let's all sing that together. Okay, let's not, let's not. That's why we need to, we need to stick with we three kings, but it's, it's fascinating to kind of dig into some of that background knowledge of that passage. There's one other quick detail I would add here, not to throw another grenade, but lots of people will set up their nativity scenes and, and they'll kind of celebrate Jesus, the newborn baby, and they'll have all of these different, you know, characters that we know were there from the, the initial uh, biblical accounts. But contextual clues will, will let us know a little bit later that the Magi probably weren't there when Jesus was first born. They, they probably arrived much later, probably around when, when Jesus was about two years old. And, and so you kind of got to remove the magi from that nativity scene and, and kind of have them travel in a little bit later somehow. I'm not sure how you do that on your piano or wherever you stash your nativity scene, but I'm not trying to ruin that part of it for you, and I'm not, certainly not trying to ruin the song, but it is so fascinating to me how many little details have sort of been assumed in this passage, and, and it's not actually found in the Gospel of Matthew. So it's, it's fascinating to me, but, but I will say this. One thing the song does get right is that these guys embarked on a long, costly journey following a star. We, we know that they come from the east. We actually, there's debate on even, you know, where they come from. So we don't really know how long their, their, the road was for them, how long the journey was for, for them. But, but they embarked on this long, truth-seeking journey. They weren't Jewish and they followed this star and it eventually led them to a very young Jesus. But here's the really fascinating thing to me about the story, and this is really where we kind of start to sink our teeth into how this is meaningful to us. And that's to understand that God was the one that initiated the connection here. God was the one that orchestrated this entire journey for the Magi. Now remember, again, they, they were not Jewish, they, they would not have had great familiarity with Jewish tradition. And so in order to get the attention of the Magi, God had to get creative and use a type of language that these guys would understand. And so God, in all of his mercy, in all of his graciousness, decides to grant these guys a big neon light in the sky in the form of a star that would get their attention and would invite them into a journey. These scholars, these scientists would immediately connect with a message that is written in the stars for them. They, they would immediately connect to that kind of language and God used this star to guide them out of their land, out of something that maybe was familiar for them, perhaps even out of comfort and lead them on a quest towards purpose and meaning and truth. Now, if you're tracking in your notes today, I, I want to give you kind of a statement, uh, kind of an opening statement. And it's, it's where I'm trying to, to marry a little bit of what, what the Magi were going through and some details of what, how that would apply to us. And so I want to say this right up front, that God is always speaking, inviting us into journey. God is always speaking. Now that should be familiar to you. We've talked about this over and over in this particular series. And he is inviting us, each of us, into journey. And I love this. I, this, this kind of language really connects with my heart. The story of the Magi connects with my heart because I, 
I love an adventure. I love kind of going on a quest. I remember, I, I'm a child of the 80s, and that there's pros and cons to that, but, but I'm a child of the 80s, and I, that means that I grew up on the old 8-bit Nintendo Entertainment System. That was the video game system of choice for kids my age, and I loved it. And my favorite game of all time was a game called The Legend of Zelda. And it came in this gold casing, and I thought, oh man, this is, this is awesome. And, and, and this was such a great game for me as a kid. It was journey-based, quest-based. There was a villain to defeat, a princess to save. There was ways that you can get stronger for your journey. There was bombs that you can blow open caves to find money. There was all kinds of stuff that I just loved as a kid. And then I wonder if it's because I, I, there's just something deep down inside of me that appeals to me to be plugged into a bigger story. There's, there's something in me that wants to go on an adventure, that, that I, I want to go on a journey where I know that I'm going to get stronger and progress and mature as I go. And so when I realize that the scriptures are consistently expressing that God is inviting us into his story, into his adventure of bringing the kingdom of heaven here to earth and and spreading his resurrection power throughout the world. This is so exciting to me. It resonates with me in a deep way that he is inviting us into an adventure that will shape us and mold us into his image. And I, I can see that progression of becoming new and becoming formed into the image of Christ. Now, what I also really appreciate about all of this is that we will all engage in this journey in different ways, that we're all coming from different starting places. And so there's going to be different things that God will sort of frame up for us, different side quests that we have to go on in order to really get to that place of maturity. Some of us need to go back and forgive someone in our past. Some of us need to maybe relearn something that, that like kind of was, a, it turned out to be a lie that we believed about ourselves a long time ago. Some of us maybe need to, to become more self-aware in a certain facet of our lives. There, there's different things that we need to work on, but, but in all of this, God is consistently speaking and using a variety of ways to communicate to us, and he is inviting us into the journey with him. And this is such an extraordinary thing, and this is exactly what the Magi were invited into. But we need to get back to the passage and to get back to the journey. And so I want to pick up in verse 3, and this will kind of be our, our large reading uh, together, and this is what it says. It says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. And he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will, be at, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he, he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. The journey took them to Jerusalem. 
And this makes perfect sense. Here are these guys, they're, they're, again, they're not Jewish. They're following a star. They don't know the end goal yet. They don't know the, the city that they need to lean into. And so Jerusalem being kind of the, the center hub of political and religious authority and power, it was, it was pretty wise actually of them to lean in and go to that city and try to find some clarity on some answers. Now the Magi don't know this, and we really actually don't know this yet until we get a little bit deeper into the passage, but Herod is introduced here in this passage, and he turns out to be just the worst kind of human being. He is awful, a controlling and insecure leader. He wants to do everything to block anybody from taking power away from him. He is not a good guy. And honestly, if you keep reading in this passage and you get to the second half of chapter two, you're gonna find one of the most horrific scenes found in the New Testament when Herod decides to kill all, every single child in the land that was two years or younger, hoping that this action would eliminate the Messiah. I mean, I can't even imagine the heartbreak and the agony that went through the land with that action. But here's the really crazy thing about this turn of events, that God uses this disingenuous interaction. I mean, Herod was lying through his teeth. He was not intending to go worship, uh, you know, the, the new Messiah. That was not in his plans. But, but God uses this disingenuous interaction with Herod as a way to continue the journey of the Magi. God actually uses these conversations to give the Magi, the wise men, a location and a trajectory for the rest of their journey. Go to Bethlehem. They kind of find out. Here, here's the next part of your journey. Keep going. Keep pressing. Once again, God speaks to the Magi in such a unique way, coming from such a surprising source, and continues to guide them into truth, using what was around them to, to kind of keep pushing them forward the miraculous and mysterious way that God often chooses to communicate is so beautiful and stunning in this passage. And friends, what I would say is that what was true for the Magi then is also true of us here when we engage in journey with God. And that's to say that God will provide guidance along the way. God will provide guidance for you along the way. Now, it's not always gonna come in ways that we expect. It doesn't always come from people that we might expect it to come from, but, but if we have discerning ears to hear and if we have spiritual eyes to see, God will direct us as we go. It kind of reminds me of Psalm 23, right? He, he guides me along right paths. And I think that if we listen well and if, if we kind of just and we've talked about this in the series, listening and hearing and hearing the voice of God, that, that God will give us everything we need to take the next step in our journey. He will speak through the scriptures. He will speak through times of prayer, times of corporate worship and private worship. He'll speak maybe sometimes through art and literature. Sometimes he'll speak through na na nature kind of things like a star or a sunset or a mountain range, you know, he, he will speak in ways that we don't expect, guiding us into all wisdom, and through it all, understanding that Holy Spirit is residing in us, amplifying truth, crystallizing direction, guiding us into the truth. 
God is gracious to guide us as we go. And this is such an extraordinary gift to us, just like it was to the Magi so long ago. But I want us to jump back into the passage one final time and just sort of look at where everything lands for the Magi. We're gonna pick up in verse 10, but before I read verse 10, remember verse nine tells us that the star sort of settles right above the house of Jesus. And then in verse 10, this is what we pick up and see. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I, I think this is such a great conclusion to this part of the story. And even before I attempt to sort of unpack some of the stuff that's going on here, I wanna hand over the next observation. This is in your notes. And I wanna just say this, that the journey will be costly and yet it will lead to great joy. The, the journey will be costly and yet it will lead to great joy. Make no mistake about it. This journey was costly to the Magi. It cost them time and energy. We, we don't know really what they left behind in terms of family or projects or, or whatever, but we just know that in saying yes to this quest, in saying yes to this journey, they were effectively saying no to other things in their life. That's costly. There is sacrifice in that. And yet they continued this sacred journey. It cost them in terms of resources. You know, there's a whole ton that could be said about the actual gifts that they brought to Jesus, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There's, there's some great foreshadowing for what Jesus was gonna do and I'll let somebody else do that, you know, kind of unpack that at a different time. But to suffice it to say that each of these gifts were lavish and they were expensive and it cost the Magi something to offer these gifts to the Messiah. See, here, here's the reality that when God calls us to journey, we should enter with our eyes wide open because it will come at a cost. We shouldn't be surprised by this, but rather to prepare for it and to embrace it as part of our commitment and devotion to Jesus, to choose to journey with him in a way where we are willing to sacrifice and travel through difficult things in order to become the men and women that he's calling us to be. But I don't want us to miss the really good news that's found in verse 10. Verse 10 is sort of like, if you blink, you might miss it type of a verse. So I don't want us to miss this, but they, they you know, it says this, when they saw the star, they were filled with what? They were filled with joy. The, the journey was costly. And yet when they finally arrived, they were finally, when they finally encountered the Messiah, they were filled with profound uh, and, and deep joy. And that, that really is the silver lining of journeying with God. That, that's the whole Good Friday to Easter morning mixture, right? That we, we live in the tension of almost all the time as, as Christ followers, that, that the journey is gonna cost us something that's sort of the Good Friday sacrifice component of, of our journey, but, but that we'll always be led to pathways that lead to hope and freedom and joy and resurrection. That, that's the Easter component of, of our identity. And any journey that God calls us to 
it's worth taking, even in the midst of heartbreak, even in the midst of disappointment or pain, because the promise of renewal and resurrection, those things are always, always there. Now, here's one of the really beautiful things about the story of the Magi. I want us to take a step back from the story and just think of it broadly, because there is a bit of a flip the script type of thing that happens in the story. And as some people might read the story and just, if you read through it quickly, it'd be really easy to assume that the story is about a group of guys who are searching out and who eventually find God. But I think what we've established in this passage is that it's actually the other way around. That it's actually God who sought out and found the Magi. That it's God who sought them and called to them and, and invited them into journey. And friends, the same is absolutely true of you and of me. I stumbled across a great little thought from a book written about the Gospel of Matthew, written by a dude named Matt Woodley. And, and let these words just wash over you. I love this. It says, God is seeking us. We start out the quest intending to discover something, but we end up being discovered. We think we are looking for something only to find that someone was looking for us. We assume that we're ascending to God and realize that God is descending to us. This is divine mercy. So powerful that God is consistently speaking. He's consistently looking for ways to communicate truth to you and to me so that we might discover his profound love for us. And it's not gonna be an easy journey, but God initiates and God gives guidance along the way and God always leads us into joy and into resurrection. And so I want to kind of land us in a spot where, where you are reflecting on a question and uh, the questions in your notes. And it, it just simply, it's a simple question, but, but profound implications. And that's just to ask, what's the journey God is inviting you to take this year? What, what's that journey? What's the journey that God's inviting you into this year? I, I remember last week, Pastor Steve, he talked about, you know, New Year's resolutions and how, you know, 80% of them are gone by February. And, and he talked about, you know, instead of resolution, let's, let's talk about remaining in Christ. And, and I would like to just echo that. You know, we're not talking about resolutions here. We're talking about journey. And journey is this really long-term kind of thing. Uh, Eugene Peterson calls it a long obedience in the same direction. And I, I love that, that verbiage that, that, that God is calling us into a long journey with him. And so the question I want you to wrestle with is what is God calling you into in this next year? What is, what is he calling you to, to move towards? Now, I don't know if this will be helpful for you or not. But in your notes, at the very end of page two, there is this big chart. And, uh, and this is, for lack of a better term, this is kind of like a, a life dashboard indicator tool that I've been interacting with personally that's been really helpful to me. And if it's helpful to you, great. And if it's not, just throw, throw it away, it's fine. This is not everything. This is not an exhaustive list. This is not everything that you can consider in terms of answering this question of journey. And I don't want you to think that this is a prescriptive thing, that I'm saying you need to deal with these seven buckets of life. This is just simply a tool 
that I want to just hand over to you. And if it gets you thinking, processing, wrestling with the Lord in terms of discerning where God is calling you into this next year, then great. And, and if it doesn't help you, that's great too. And some of these buckets that are in this chart, they're standard New Year type focus buckets, right? There's, there's kind of this, uh, you know, the, the body uh, tab there. They're, how are you leveraging physical health? That's, that's something that a lot of people talk about at the beginning of the year, but there's actually a, a deep spiritual component to how we're taking care of our body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's a journey that, that actually I've been wrestling with this year, where first half of the year really did well with that. Second half of the year kind of got dera derailed. And so my wife and I are talking like 2020 that, that we really want to, to refocus on this area, that this would be part of the answer of what journey God is inviting me into in the next year. And for some of you, it might be like a financial thing, what, you know, setting a budget and, and sticking to it. Maybe it's a uh, maybe it's something relating to a relationship in your life. Maybe God's calling you to strengthen your marriage or strengthen some parenting skills. Or, or maybe it's a faithful risk that he's asking you to take in your life. Maybe it's going to be some sort of spiritual rhythm or habit that, that you, you need to instill in your life in order to make you or to help you set you up. For, for greater strength and maturity in your relationship with Jesus. I don't know what that is, but I would just encourage you to begin to process and pray, what is that journey that God is inviting you into in this next year? Now, I, I notice some, some of these buckets are very personal, individual-based type buckets, but I, I do also want you to know that next week, Pastor Sean is gonna be back and he's gonna be talking about our corporate journey, the, the, the things that we feel like God is asking us to lean into in the coming year. And, and that's actually a, another really important component of this question that what is the journey that God is inviting you into in this next year, even in terms of your spiritual family and, and plugging into your body of believers, that's an important thing to be in prayer about and to wrestle with God about. Now, I hope that the year 2020 finds us pursuing Jesus in the same way that the Magi pursued him, relentlessly following the light, continuing to make right decisions, a long obedience in the same direction, understanding that it will be, it will be difficult at points, but knowing that it's a journey that is always worth taking because any journey with Jesus involved is a pathway to unspeakable joy. And we are looking to conclude this series and we were thinking that there would be no more appropriate thing and no more fitting thing to do than to conclude a Christmas series with the receiving of communion as a body of believers. In fact, across our network, I would invite our communion volunteers to get in place and get set. And in a few minutes, they're gonna be serving us well. But in the meantime, I want to invite us into kind of a communion reflection. The, the communion is really a great forward journey type of activity for us. It's a forward moving sacrament for us because it reminds us that long before Jesus ever invited us into journey, he himself undertook a massive journey for you and for me, and he came to earth and in so doing gave up so many of his advantages 
and that his ultimate journey was one of sacrifice, a journey to the cross where he was crucified, providing a pathway to freedom and forgiveness and life. He traveled a long and painful journey so that we might be reconciled to God, so that we might experience abundant and eternal life. And so I pray that as we receive these elements, we would do so with gratefulness as we reflect upon Jesus's loving kindness to us. Now here at Heritage, we practice what's called open communion. And that means that you don't have to be a member here at Heritage in order to participate with us. We just simply ask that you are a believer in Jesus. And if that doesn't describe you, you can just let that tray pass you by. No one's gonna look at you weird or you know, judge you in any way. But for those of you who are participating, we wanna give you just kind of a heads up that the, the elements are in double stack cups. So when you reach in, make sure you get both cups. And if you need a gluten-free option, we do have that in the back in both worship centers at Bettendorf and Rock Island along the back wall. And we just wanna invite you to participate in this sacrament uh, by giving you space and time to just linger over the elements. You're gonna receive these elements on your own. We're gonna provide, you know, some, you know, our, our team's gonna come back and, and lead us in, in, some, in some song and kind of a time of worship. And we wanna just give you space to lean into the sacrament, to take the elements on your own, to ponder what the Lord is calling you into in the next year. And, and I pray that this time of sacrament would be a powerful catalyst to you as we reflect upon the many, many reasons we have to access unspeakable joy through the power and presence of Jesus in our life. Let's pray together. God, we thank you. You are amazing. And we just give so much thanks to you for what you've done in our lives for the whole Advent to Christmas to Epiphany journey where we get to, biblically, scripturally, we get to remember the, the early days of your life and your time with us and to reflect upon the journey that you took long before you call us into journey. And we say thank you. And so as we receive these elements, God, I ask that you would just allow it to be spiritual nourishment for our soul. That you would allow it to bring strength to us as we reflect upon this new year and we reflect upon what it is that you're calling us into. What journey are you asking us to step into? Give us courage to say yes and to step into a long obedience in the same direction. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen.